Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. Well, hello, everybody. Happy Easter. Happy Easter, did you say? <laughs> Happy Easter to uh, all the folks here and to uh, all the folks listening online. Uh, of course, with online folks have a week delay, so happy post-Easter. Um, we've got some special treats today I'm excited about, and uh, but first I wanted to share with you a little bit because you know this is we don't have good friday service or we don't have sunday what no we don't yeah no no thursday we don't have ash wednesday so i wanted to kind of before we get started i want to well as we get started i wanted to talk a little bit about the last supper and my favorite verses from that moment and I think it lines up a little bit with what we've been talking about the past couple weeks. So I'm in uh, John 13. Listen to all those rustling Bible pages. Um, not that you could read. I don't think it's a little dark in there, right? John 13, 34. And Jesus is sitting with his disciples, and he says to them, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, I love the repetitiveness of this. One, because I'm a repetitive person, but two, because Jesus, Jesus, I'm a repetitive person. Ah, that's a good one. You should have be my comedy writer. Um, because he's saying the example of a life well lived is our love for one another. He's saying to the disciples, this is how people will know that you belong to me, that you are mine, is that your love for one another. Now, imagine if that was still the way Christians were known today. Is because I mean, heck, we'd barely love other people, much less one another. And imagine if we were known for that. Um, now, Jesus' love was so great that it led to the cross, much like people like Martin Luther King or Gandhi's led to death as well, is when you often are inclusive of so many different people and welcome people and love people and love radically, it can also lead to an end. One of the things we talked about last week, too, was that you know, we're supposed to pay all of our debts with the debt of love. And so we have this one thing that we're continuously supposed to do. Is, is, and that was reminded to us by Paul. And again, I'm going to read this again. I give you a new commandment. Now, there wasn't anything new about this commandment, really, because Jesus already had said, I want you guys to love each other and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, that's how, you know, the two most important commandments, love your neighbor as yourself and love God with all your heart. You know, equally is important. Those are two big things. 
and uh, jump over to Romans, I'm sorry, John 15, 12. It says, again, Jesus, I love this because this is Jesus still being very repetitive. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than one that lays down his life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servants does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You know, I remember when I first read this, well, I mean, not first read it, but when I've read this before and thinking, you're my friend as long as you keep my commandments. Well, that seems kind of a weird friendship. But his commandment is what? You can talk back if you want, but you don't have to. Because um, you don't have mics anyway. So his commandment is what? Love one another. Just as you have loved you. You should love one another as I love you. That was the, the, the commandment there. So when he's saying when you love one another, you fulfill my commandments. So you are a friend of God, a friend to Christ. How? By your love for one another. There was a great question once asked, what do I love when I love my God? And uh, I've always thought what you love is the other. You know, you love the other. That's how our full expression of Christ is seen. It goes on, Jesus goes on to say, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed to you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I'm giving you these commandments so that you may love one another. Bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit Christ is talking about, in our friendship with Christ, is the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So this is the type of thing that love is supposed to bear. This is what comes our action and reaction. comes from love, is these things. Love itself, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. People who want a Christianity with a lot of works, they want a hard Christianity, all they have to do is realize is that we're called to love each other. You know, talk about dying to yourself daily and dying to your flesh and picking up your own cross. You do that through loving others. Because it can be terribly painful, terribly challenging, but it can also bring great joy. So, as we were restored to friendship with God and Christ because we have loved one another. So may we love one another. Um, I hate to bother someone while they're eating. <laughs> but we have a special guest today, um, Mr. Tony Jones. Or actually, I'm sorry, you didn't go to school to be called Mr. Dr. Tony Jones. My good friend. 
Welcome. There was one clap, and I think it was one of your children. And it was my offspring. It was one, just one of your offspring. Can you throw my Bible here? Do you edit this part out of the podcast? No, we the love, lull. We love the lulls. There's, there's no. There's, there's no editing. No, no. It's all. It's like public radio. It's very quiet. Just <laughs> talk like this. Sweaty balls. Sweaty balls. Good but, job, Jay. So love one another. Is that the message? That's always the message, for me. Yeah, and that the fact that. How are you doing at that? Well, I'm great at sometimes loving others, but loving. How myself, are you doing at loving yourself this week? That is a tough one. It's been a tough. That's tough. I have a tough time loving myself. Yeah. Well, thank you. And that's one of the things that I struggle with most is 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 that part of it. Loving others as I love myself. So, giving myself grace, giving myself hope. But you wrote a book called Did God Kill Jesus? I did write that. On uh on the crucifixion. Yep. And I guess there's probably some things about the resurrection in there of course since that's what we are talking about today yep yep well one thing that uh one thing that i encourage you to read going into your sermon today was there's one theory that um was very popular in the middle ages about jesus crucifixion that was written by a guy named peter abelard who was a great philosopher and theologian and he wrote that Jesus' death on the cross is the ultimate act of love. So what he, he was arguing against another guy named Anselm who said that Jesus' death on the cross was a payment to God for human sin. And Abelard was like, and you probably don't like that version, right? You don't like that, uh, the yeah, payment. The, the payment version. Or pun- it's, it's also like... There's a punishment or a penalty required because of human sin. and That God needed a pound of flesh. For right. Him. And that Jesus has to pay for that. Right. Be the sacrifice. I felt, felt that that was the best understanding of the time. Yeah. Um, instead, Abelard like, really hated that theory. And so he wrote another interpretation of the crucifixion that said that since God is really ultimately all about love, like you've been preaching this morning, that then the crucifixion must be about love. So we have to figure out how the crucifixion is about love because that's what God's all about is love. And what he traced it back to the Last Supper, which we're going to you know, reenact here in a few minutes at, at the communion table here, the once-a-year Revolution Rainbow Communion. Yes. Um. He said, you know, when Jesus was at the Last Supper and he washed his disciples' feet, and then he stood up and looked at his disciples and said, I've set an example for you. Now go and do what I've done. You know, like serve other people the way I've served you and the way I've served over the last three years of my ministry. This is, now this is what you guys do, yeah, guys and gals. Three years, wow. He only did it for three years. I know. And then he washed their feet and he says, this, this is an example I've set for you. You need to go and do this. And he says this new commandment, love one another as I've loved you. And his kind of washing, his washing of their feet was this, he was exemplifying what this love was supposed to be like. 
So then what Abelard does is he says, well, let's draw a line from that, from the Last Supper, to Jesus' death on the cross. And if they're all kind of one, one event, one, you know, if you, if you take it as one, pat, they call it the passion, or you take it as one continuous event, as opposed to like, oh, the Last Supper, and then, oh, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and oh, then he's whipped, and oh, then he carries, like, if you think of it as one event rather than yeah. a bunch of different events... He says, well, then the, the death on the cross is, is the ultimate act of love. It's the ultimate act of sacrificial love. That, that God would experience this death, you know. And that when we then look at it subsequently, like today, if we're sitting here in church and we think about Jesus dying on the cross, or we wear a cross around our neck, or we have one hanging on the wall in our house or something like that, that what we should see when we see that cross is we should see God's most passionate act of love on our behalf. And that he almost refers to it, the, the way I talk about it in my book is, um, the ma- it's like the world's strongest electromagnet. It's like God's love in the cross is so strong. It's like an electromagnet or like, you would probably like, like um, it's like a tractor beam yeah. on, on the Death Star pulling in the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> yes. Right? And you can't get out of it. Like once you get into that tractor beam of God's love in the cross, you're just like, you're just sucked into it. I know. I try to get out, but every time it pulls me back. Yeah, in exactly. Yeah. Like let's talk about that. For, for example, like why are you still a Christian? Yeah, because that love, that tractor beam, I just can't somehow shake it that idea of grace loving your enemies and and so this it's it's all seems kind of crazy unbelievable right especially yeah. the resurrection yes there was a very very famous debate in the history of revolution church oh, oh that was on easter too that was on easter peter rollins and i debated the resurrection i remember that it was and in New York. It was in New York, and uh, I'm sure it's still it's still about on the podcast somewhere that yeah. people could find if they want. Maybe maybe you can dig it up and link link to it or something. Yeah, it's well, we've got a whole thing on on the on the on our area where we keep our stuff. It's a whole history, so people can go through it. Archive, archive. That's the word I'm looking for. Yes. And so Pete and I, you know, interestingly, Pete and I talked about. Um, he really firmly believes in the power of the resurrection. He just doesn't think it happened. Although he wouldn't say it. <laughs> he would not say it as like simply and explicitly as I just said it. He would tell a parable about... Uh, a very lovely parable. Uh, about an Irishman. Right? Yes. About a- I will just say it. You know, I'll just say that like, then the question becomes whether it really happened or not. And, and what's the power in it, too? So anyway, it's just something to think about as we, in a few moments, like share the communion. Um, if, if it really is this incredible act of love, and he, now here's one other thing that I, I want to say about the crucifixion before moving on to the resurrection. Especially I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. I'm listening. Okay? I think that the most potent theological statement ever uttered in the history of the cosmos is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
I think if you look at the history of God's relationship with humanity, and it doesn't matter if you think it happened or didn't happen, that's immaterial to this, to my argument, that after Adam and Eve are expelled from the Garden of Eden for turning their backs on God and for sinning, then God tries multiple ways to reunite with humankind. Like, there's, you know, like, let's wipe everything out after on the flood and start over with Noah and his family. And then, like, let's have a covenant with Abraham and, like, have a, a race of people that I'm committed to. Yeah. Right? And now, then, let's have judges who, like, rule over Israel. Now, let's have kings that rule. Now let's have profit. Like there's all these ways God tries to keeps adding new management. Yeah. And like, right. Yeah. <laughs> under new management. It doesn't work. They should hang out over Israel, like <laughs> under new management and it keeps not working. Right. It, yeah. I mean, it works a little bit or here and there, but the other thing we know about God is that God doesn't, it's clear in the Hebrew scripture that God never forces Israel to follow him. You know what I mean? God's always like, co- God's always like um, coaxing and beckoning Israel. So like, come on, you guys. Or even you think of the physical manifestations of God. Like God is, when for 40 years in the wilderness, God's a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. And Israel is supposed to follow that God through the wilderness. But God's not like pushing them like, to into the promised land. Right, he's not a wall of fire. Saying yeah, he's that. like, come on, you guys. I'm, <laughs> follow me through the wilderness. And Israel struggles to follow God, as, as I think we all do, right? Israel is just like a, a, a national personification of every human being's struggle to follow God. Yeah. And then you get to the end of the Hebrew Scripture in Malachi, and then 400 years of silence. No... We've got no books written of the Bible. We have no prophets that we're talking, that were kind of like intermediaries between God and the people. It's silence. Yeah. God's like, I mean, some ways you might be like, God's like, look, I'm out of ideas here. (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'm anthropomorphizing God a little bit, but it's just silence. And then Christians believe that in the, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, there's this incarnation where, Humanity and divinity are somehow mystically united in a way they never have been. Yeah. They even weren't in the Garden of Eden. Sends John to prepare the way. Yep. And then Jesus is born, and it's like this somehow perfect union or reunion of humanity and divinity. And um, then I, th- I personally think the beauty of the Christian story is then that Jesus, in, in God, Jesus experiences everything that human beings experience. God holds nothing back. He's like, I'm just going to completely and totally give myself over to this human experience. And to the, all the way to the end. So, so this is what I'm saying. Yeah. All that to say, Jesus hangs on the cross. And that's, I think we have to see it like God is hanging on the cross. God hangs on the cross. And God cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So, um, like, Kierkegaard, you know, r- wrote about, like, this feeling of um, existential 
loneliness. Yeah. Total existential loneliness. And like, I'm, this is all bullshit. Everybody has this, everybody who's introspective at some point thinks this is all bullshit. There's no God out there. We're alone, like, we're on this pellet. <laughs> we're on this, you know, pebble just flinging around in a galaxy. And, you, you know, like the, the temptation to become a nihilist is yeah. always there for I'm those of us who are thinking yeah. about this stuff. Pointlessness of things. And Schleiermacher, uh, Friedrich Schleiermacher called it the feeling of utter desperation. You ever felt that? Yes. <laughs> In the last 10 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> Please, God, let him stop. No, <laughs> so these common experiences that we have as human beings, and I think particularly people who are here at Revolution and people who listen to the Revolution podcast think like, they've had this, we've had this experience of I'm all alone. And here's the crazy thing to wrap your head around. God experienced that on the cross. That God experienced the absence of God. Right. God experienced atheism. And that's where you and... Be degree. Yeah. I mean, just wrap your mind around that, that God experiences the absence of God. So now there is nothing that is part of the human condition that God has not experienced. The one thing you would think God could not experience is atheism and death. And right there on the cross, God experiences atheism and moments later death. And so I think God's, uh, the way I read the crucifixion is that God's solidarity with humanity is complete in that moment of atheism. Wow. God holds, God's like, I'm going to do, I'm like going to poop and I'm like going (laughs) to, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm like going to get crabby and I'm going to get the flu. Like I'm going to experience humanity, but I mean, there's some things that even God won't like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I'm not going to really have existential loneliness. (laughs) No, God really experiences that existential loneliness. Even Jesus experiences total abandonment by God. The, the theologians call that phrase the cry of dereliction when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I think we can take hope in the fact that if we're Christian, if we even have just like a thread of belief, one thing to hang on to is that God, God's self experienced that total existential loneliness. The ground of being. Yeah. Yeah. So... Then to just turn briefly toward the resurrection, you know, the, the one place where Paul really talks about the resurrection, he like has a whole theology of the re- resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. And he's like, he's, this is, I think, I mean, there's a whole, you can read a whole. Do you need me to read it for you? Yeah, I'm like, whoo, that's tiny print. But this will be familiar to those of you who grew up in the church. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a human being. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And so the way that the early church looked back on Jesus' resurrection and his like, for two months after for two months after Easter morning, the first Easter morning, Jesus was like appearing to the disciples. He appeared to them in the upper room. 
He like appeared to the uh, Cleopas and his friend when they're walking on the road to Emmaus. He appears to a bunch of the disciples. He's sitting on the beach cooking and eating fish. It says, it says he's eating fish. Right. So there's all this speculation about what's Jesus' resurrection body. A, it's yeah. like a, you, you you might think of like Ghost um, body. But, yeah, I mean you think of like two two major like uh, 20th century literary metaphors for the resurrection are Aslan in Narnia, like Aslan gets killed on the stone table. What? And That's oh, not- spoiler alert! Uh-oh. And then the next day, Aslan comes back, and he's still—he's like a kind of a glorified lion, but he's still Aslan, right? Yeah. And he goes through the rest of the books; he's still around, kind of coming and going. And the other is Gandalf the Gray, like falls into the shadows. That and- one I actually didn't know. And comes back as Gandalf the White. That, that was supposed to be. Like, he's still Gandalf, right? Yeah. But something about him is changed. He's resurrected, basically. And so he's, he's recognizable, except he's gone from gray to white. He has more power. He's different. He's also different. Right. He's not the exact same as he was before that fall into the shadows. Um, so Paul writes about this. He uses this very intriguing phrase, I think, first fruits. Or it's like um, another way to interpret that is to say it's like a down payment, okay? Like a down payment on a house. Correct. Which you're making one of this month. Yes. Yeah? So like you make a down payment and you know that the whole thing will come to fruition in, in time. But you're not like, you get to move into the house and live in it, but you know you don't own the house. The bank owns the house, right? Right. So it's the same with this. Like Jesus' resurrection, he's the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. In other words, his resurrection is like a down payment on the new life that God promises all of us. That's the way the early church saw Jesus' resurrection. Because um, we focus a lot on you know the death and what it means and how it saves us from sin. But in the early church then, the way they saw the resurrection was this kind of the down payment. Or the first fruits. Like if... Anybody gardening? I just planted my first. Yesterday, I just planted a few things that can, like, potentially stand a, a f- another frost. Right. <laughs> like carrots, beets, and lettuce. So in two weeks, some of those first things will be popping up in our garden in our backyard. And those are, you know, the first fruits, right? Right. And so that's the metaphor Paul uses to explain. Because I'm sure people are like, well, why, how come Jesus got to be resurrected and come back, but the rest of us don't? Like, everybody else just dies, and then their corpse rots, you know, in the catacombs or whatever. And Paul's like, well, because Jesus is the first fruits. It's like a down payment. So you know the rest, the big payoff is coming, but somewhere down the road. Does that help? That does help. Does that help? (laughs) What's it make you think, Jay Baker? Well, you know, for me, I always think about what someone who's 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 completely not thinking about it or someone who's completely been hurt by that concept and how they can re-see it. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a good way to, a new way to look at it because growing up, you know, so many people are told, oh no, this is just what happened, A, B, and C. And then it's like, you grow older and you go, well, how, how am I, you know, how am I supposed to believe this? And what's the significance here? You know? Yeah. And, uh, I was grown not to even look. I was taught not to even look into the theological significance, but just to accept that this is what happened. You know, if yeah. there was a video camera, yeah, Jesus walks out. 
<laughs> you know. And uh, I think we sometimes miss the importance of the symbolism as well, what that means. We, do you want to do communion? Yeah. Okay, here's how, here's how we're going to do communion. But we've got people on listening online, so Revolution. if they want to pause. You can pause it, go bake some bread. Go bake, bake your own bread. Find the rainbow bread. We, um, a few mm. years ago, Courtney, my wife and I, made this rainbow bread and brought it to Revolution on Easter. And uh, there was an article about it in the New York Daily News. How I about know. that? That was pretty crazy. That was crazy. And we, there was a lot of, like, trolls hating on us for doing rainbow communion. But here we are doing rainbow communion. We were also celebrating the legal, gay marriage being legal That's in right. Minnesota. So you guys can probably imagine why we bake rainbow communion bread. Here's how, here's how we're going to do it here at Revolution Church. Is I'm going to say the fancy churchy uh, words. Called, they're called the words of institution. They also come from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And then Jay's going to pray for us and pray over these, what's called praying over the elements, and just pray for our community online and here in person. And then you can come up and uh, tear off a piece of the bread from Jay as he holds it, and then take a cup of the juice, and then all together we'll, um, all together we'll take it. You know, we'll take the communion. So you can like take it back to your seat. And, how's that sound? Sounds fantastic. We're pretty low-key here. You going to take your microphone? No, I'm If you grew up in church, these are going to be some familiar kind of sounding words. On the night that Jesus was confronted by the authorities and was arrested and taken away, earlier that night, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take it, eat it, and do this in memory of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink it, and as often as you do it, remember me. And Paul says that when we gather, we're to take this, we're to unify with the body in the room and around the world, the body of Christ, and we're to have this meal of remembrance and we're to remember what Jesus did for us, what he continues to do for us, and that Jesus continues to love us no matter what is happening in our lives. You want to pray for us? Lord, I just pray that this would be a reminder to all of us of your love and the love that you encourage us to have for one another, that this would truly be a symbol of your communion, of us coming together as one, and that we would remember to make sacrifices for one another with our love and with your grace. Amen. Amen. You all can just come up, and Jay's going to meet you down there. Yeah, come up, grab some, some bread, and grab some juice.
This is the bread of heaven, and this is the cup of salvation. Take and eat. I want to thank you all for celebrating Easter with us, and I want to thank Tony for coming out. He's been a great friend and said to me when we started this church um, that if there was anything he could do, just to let him know that he was dedicated to helping out the church. Thanks you, Courtney, for baking the bread. Um. Yeah, it's it's special, special time. It's special that you all came out and uh, you're listening. I can't ever be thank you enough for that and uh, that we share this love for something so mysterious and something that can be seem so unknown at times and that we can also share in that forsakenness to me is uh, dark but beautiful. So thank you for coming. And uh, usually this is the time we take offering. Um, If you wanted to give offering, you can come up and and bring it up here afterwards. But let's right now just, I want to end with a quick prayer. and Thank you all for coming. Lord, I ask for your will, your grace, and your mercy in our moments of doubt and pain. Amen. Thank you.